You have goals. Reach them fast with IU Online's accelerated degree programs. Our six and eight week courses are taught 100% online and can fit any schedule. Advance your career with a bachelor's in informatics. It only takes 10 minutes to apply. Earn an Indiana University degree that's valued around the world. Get started today at IU Online. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. October 1919. Members of the German Workers' Party gathered in a beer hall for a secret meeting. At the back table, a young man sat taking notes. To those around him, he was an enthusiastic new member, scribbling down notes as impassioned speakers pontificated at the front of the hall. But in actuality, he was a spy sent by the German army to gather intelligence, specifically regarding a man named Dietrich Eckhart. A racist anti-communist, Eckhart had made his living as a playwright before the Great War. But in the months following, he had become an outspoken and dangerous political figure. Eckhart believed in the occult and preached racist ideology and his politics. Rumors had started spreading that Eckhart was awaiting a messiah, someone who would champion his hateful rhetoric and rally the German people around his cause. But more than that, Eckhart believed that he was in contact with a race of extraterrestrial beings who held the secret to immense power. Alongside a small group of mediums known as the Vril Society, Eckhart was channeling advanced alien technology so powerful that the German Workers' Party could install any leader they wanted to power. As the meeting progressed, the spy heard speaker after speaker spout anti-communist and anti-Semitic ideas that resonated closely with his own. Slowly, the spy put down his notebook and began to listen in earnest. He soon found himself enraptured by the speeches being given around the room. Suddenly, before realizing it, he was standing atop his table, joining in on the fun. Eckhart listened as the young spy lambasted the Treaty of Versailles, rallying the room into a frenzy. He had never seen such passion or raw charisma. Eckhart knew instantly that this man was the messiah he had been waiting for. Eckhart ran to meet the young spy and asked for his name. The man introduced himself, Lance Corporal Adolf Hitler. Are we alone? Have we been alone? Will we be alone? Stories of alien visitation have been ingrained in human history. Alien life may not be confirmed, but our obsession with it can't be ignored. Welcome to Extraterrestrial, a ParCast original. I'm Bill. And I'm Tim. Every Tuesday, we visit the marvelous and strange stories about our encounters with beings from another world. 
We're aware that some of these tales may seem completely unbelievable, others may seem all too real. But these stories shed light on human nature, human beliefs, and human psychology. And each story has garnered hundreds, if not millions, of true believers. And for that reason, we think they're worth exploring. Today, we're exploring the story of the Vril Society, an alleged Nazi secret society that formed just after World War I, who believed an alien race was providing them with advanced technology that would allow them to travel through space. This week, we'll follow Maria Orsic, the female medium who first made contact with otherworldly visitors as she involved herself deep within the budding Nazi party. In next week's part two, we'll explore the claims made by Orsic and her cohorts, as well as the likelihood that this secret society ever existed in the first place. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parkcast.com slash merch for more information. The Vril Society is one of the most elusive secret societies in modern history. To this day, there is no proof that it actually existed, though the legends that sprung up around it have inspired countless books, conspiracy theories, and secret societies of their own. The idea for the Vril Society came from a science fiction novel published in 1871 called The Power of the Coming Race, written by Edward Bulwer-Lytton. In the book, he describes a subterranean race of superhumans, often imagined as angel-like figures who live deep underground near the Earth's core. There, they have supposedly created an advanced civilization by harnessing the power of Vril. Vril is an all-permeating fluid capable of limitless power. The superhuman race, called the Vrilya, have learned to control this energy force with their minds. Through Vril, they have the ability to heal armies, raise cities, and level mountains. According to the novel, the Vrilya have been biding their time, awaiting the day that they can crawl to the Earth's surface, destroy all of humanity, and finally bring their subterranean empire above ground. The book was a huge success when it hit shelves at the end of the 19th century. It enjoyed relative popularity throughout the 1910s and 20s, becoming something of a cult classic. It was never meant to be taken literally, but as Germany fell into a Great Depression after the First World War, a small group of fanatics grew obsessed with the ideology expressed in the book and built an entire political movement on the concept of a master race. Adolf Hitler and his closest confidants would spend the next 20 years attempting to channel a race of aliens they called the Aryans of Aldebaran in a galaxy light years from our own. They believed these aliens descended from the lost city of Atlantis on Earth and were the precursors to the Aryan master race. And if the rumors from 1945 are true, several members of Hitler's inner circle may not have only contacted these aliens, but escaped Earth and are still living among them today.
The Nazi Vril Society began with a Croatian woman named Maria Orsic. She would become one of the world's most famous oracles and Adolf Hitler's most trusted telepath. Maria Orsic was born, somewhat fittingly, on Halloween, October 31st, 1895, in Zagreb, Croatia. Very little is known about her in general, let alone her early life, but her childhood was, by all accounts, normal. Her mother, Sabina, was an exceptionally beautiful ballerina who performed with the Vienna Ballet before she met Maria's father, Tomislav Orsic, in 1894. Tomislav had been visiting Vienna on holiday when the two met, quickly fell in love, and married. Tomislav changed his name to Thomas to appease Sabina's Christian family, and Sabina moved with him back to Zagreb. A year later, Maria Orsic was born. Even as a child, Maria was extraordinarily beautiful. She was a stunning blonde with big doe eyes and a sinewy frame. By the time she was a young teenager, she was the obsession of every boy in Zagreb. But while she was known for her beauty, Maria should have been revered for her cunning. As a teenager, she proved to be a clever, gifted young woman with a vested interest in Croatian nationalism. Maria came of age during the First World War. At the time, Croatia was still part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, but had been advocating for more control over how they were governed. One member of the ruling class had even advocated for Croatia to share equal power with Hungary and Austria. Archduke Franz Ferdinand, who was assassinated on June 28, 1914 in Sarajevo, Bosnia and Herzegovina. His assassination sparked protests that escalated to violent anti-Serbian riots across Croatia. A month later, on July 28, 1914, when Austria declared war on Serbia, starting World War I, Emperor Franz Joseph found full support from Croatia's military. Maria would have been 19 at the dawn of the Great War. Between her proud Croatian father and Viennese German mother, it's easy to imagine the swell of national pride that would have been fostered in the Orsic home. But as the rest of Croatia turned their attentions towards the war, Maria's focus was pulled elsewhere. In September 1917, Maria came down with the flu and eventually fell into a trance for several hours. Her parents worried she was in a coma and debated on whether to call the hospital. To the world, Maria looked almost dead. But Maria's consciousness had left her body and she felt herself traveling through space. Time itself felt like a dimension, and her spirit traveled through it. She knew her consciousness was no longer on Earth, but on an astral plane. Before her, huge beams of light appeared, but they flickered back and forth with a movement that seemed almost human. The beams of light spoke to Maria. They told her that they were an alien race channeling her from galaxies away. And when she was feeling better, they would be back. This was the beginning of a partnership. Maria wasn't sure who had visited her or why, but from this fateful meeting, she decided two things. First, that humans were not alone in the universe. Second, the otherworldly visitors would be using her for a very special purpose. 
Meanwhile, a thousand miles away in a small Bavarian town called Oberau Berchtesgaden, a small group of men gathered in secret at the bidding of a man named Baron Rudolf von der Rosa. They pledged to form a secret society that would dedicate itself to contacting aliens and using the occult to restore Germany to power. Baron Rudolf von Siebottendorf von der Rosa was a self-proclaimed aristocrat and nationally known eccentric, though he was born the son of a train conductor just outside of Dresden in November 1875. Growing up, he always proved a restless, inquisitive soul, longing to escape the confines of his childhood home. His listless heart led him to take a job as a merchant sailor as a young man, sometime before the turn of the century. For the next 10 years or so, Rudolf bounced around Cairo, Constantinople, and other reaches of the Ottoman Empire. It was there that he became fascinated with Sufi mysticism and began to seriously study the occult in Cairo. He returned to Germany in 1913, a self-proclaimed baron who quickly became known for radical occultist beliefs. At the turn of the 20th century, Europe experienced widespread fascination with the occult and spiritualism. In 1917, sociologist Max Weber justified occult mania by explaining that religion and modern sciences had rationalized Western society and caused widespread disenchantment with life. Mediums like Maria and the Baron infused a little mystique into an otherwise mundane world. People couldn't help themselves. Many mediums found fame during the early 20th century. Baron Rudolf often found himself the center of parties. His reputation preceded him wherever he went. Of course, over time, most of these psychics were debunked as frauds. But there is one medium who has yet to be officially debunked a woman that would soon sit at Baron Rudolph's right hand, Maria Orsic. When Maria was settled into her new home in Munich in 1919, she started to grow a local reputation for making predictions. The individual anecdotes have been lost to time, but it seems as though she was a well-known psychic in Munich not long after arriving in the city. Her predictions came directly from the alien beings that she had been channeling they began visiting her on a more regular basis, and she found they had quite a lot to say. Meanwhile, the Baron was making his way through the most lavish parties in Bavaria, and it wasn't long before his outlandish beliefs caught the ear of a German playwright named Dietrich Eckhart. 50-year-old Eckhart was a right-wing extremist who had recently begun penning a racist, anti-Semitic periodical called Auf Gut Deutsch, or In Plain German. And disturbingly, the periodical was enjoying somewhat wide circulation in Bavaria. For all his faults, Eckhart was a brilliant man and persuasive writer. He is widely believed to be one of the architects of the Nazi party. Among Eckhart's most outlandish beliefs was the idea that, long ago, the world had been ruled by the people of the mythological city Atlantis. They were called Aryans, superior beings that, over time, lost their superhuman abilities by breeding with lesser races, 
specifically the communists, the Bolsheviks, and the Jewish people. This nonsense found an audience with Baron Rudolf von der Rosa and several other members of an elite circle of occultists and German nationalists whose identities remain unverified to this day. This small group gathered together in August 1918 in a small resort town in Bavaria called Oberau Berchtesgaden, the same location that would later house Adolf Hitler's country retreat. Here, they created the All-German Society for Metaphysics, also known as the Tula Society. The members of the Tula Society believe that through the occult, they might be able to create a political party that could help Germany become a world superpower. The Tula Society is as unofficial as the Vril Society was, although much more evidence suggests that it actually existed. It was around this time that Dietrich Eckhart began referring to himself as John the Baptist, after the prophet that had heralded the coming of Jesus in the Bible. He said that he had received a secret prophecy from a telepath who had foretold the coming of a new messiah who would usher in Germany's golden age. Dietrich was charged with identifying the messiah when he saw him and shaping him into the charismatic leader Germany needed. In a poem entitled, The Nameless One, Eckhart describes a young soldier with blazing, fiery eyes and dogged passion who would deliver the German people from poverty and despair. The Messiah would soon reveal himself to be Adolf Hitler. And many believe that the woman who foretold his rise to power was none other than Maria Orsich. Next. Maria meets that man who would forever change world history. Now, back to the story. In 1917, Maria Orsich contracted the flu and, while sick, fell into a coma-like trance. While in the trance, she was visited by alien beings who appeared to her like endless beams of light. The beings hadn't told the 22-year-old woman why they had come to visit her, they only promised they would be back soon. A promise they were quick to keep. Over the course of the next two years, Maria was visited by these alien beings several more times. They relayed to her some basic information, that they were a race of beings from Aldebaran, in the Taurus constellation, 68 light years from Earth. Over time, the aliens came by for more than quick chats. They began relaying prophecies to Maria. One such prophecy spoke of a charismatic leader with fiery eyes that would rise to power in Germany. He would rally the German people and lead Germany to renewed greatness. His name, the aliens told her, was Adolf Hitler. Then, finally, the aliens revealed Maria's mission to her. They would gift her with the blueprints for a technologically advanced ship capable of flying into outer space. She was to share these blueprints with her fellow society members and build the spaceship. They warned that the technology was ancient and very complex, but slowly, all would be revealed to her. They also explained that through their teaching, Maria could learn to harness the power of Vril, the all-permeating substance of immeasurable power. 
Through Vril, Maria could bring peace and prosperity to the world. Maria spent the rest of 1918 and 1919 communicating with the aliens. She would fall into a trance and begin writing down everything they said to her. She didn't understand anything that she was being told, but took dutiful notes all the same. Luckily, Maria knew her father understood mechanics and engineering to a point and asked for his help in deciphering what she had been scribbling down. He understood some of the mechanics of what Maria had channeled, but admitted that much of the technology was too advanced for him to understand. Furthermore, Maria's writings were not Croatian or German or any language he understood. He went to his study and compared her scribbling to several books, finally pulling out one that matched. Maria's father showed her a grainy gray picture of tiny markings carved into stone. It matched the language that Maria had scribbled all over her papers. Ancient Sumerian, he explained to her. This language has been dead for 3,000 years. As Maria channeled the aliens, it became clear that they knew much more about Earth than they had initially let on. But Maria was wont to ask questions. She trusted that in due time, all would be revealed. By 1919, World War I had ended, and the Treaty of Versailles had left the Central Powers devastated. After being saddled with astronomical reparations fees, 132 billion gold marks, nearly half a trillion U.S. dollars today, a financially ruined and internationally embarrassed Germany fell into a Great Depression. Homelessness, unemployment, and poverty were at an all-time high. They believed the terms of the treaty had been too harsh and were making it impossible for Germany to recover from the war. In the wake of this growing frustration, the German nationalist movement sprung up and quickly gained considerable traction in Germany's largest cities like Munich and Berlin. The nationalist movement advocated for a united Germany and promised to bring Germany out of debt and restore its former power. This was especially appealing to Maria Orsic. She moved to Munich in 1919 to better involve herself in the nationalist movement. She was willing to donate her time and energy to the cause. She believed in Germany and the politics of the nationalist movement. The aliens she was channeling wanted her there to help bring about a better world order. And above all else, she was on the lookout for the man named Adolf who could rely on her use of advanced alien technology to deliver Germany from ruin. It was also around this time in 1919 that Maria met another medium about her own age, a woman named Trauta A. Blom. Little is known about Trauta other than the fact that she and Maria soon realized they were communicating with the same race of aliens. She, too, had been channeling instructions for harnessing and using the power of Vril to help her fellow German people. The two became fast friends and would share their communications with one another. Together, they began channeling the aliens more regularly. It soon became clear to them that the aliens had too much information for the two of them to handle alone. They needed help. They began connecting with three other female mediums named Heike Erhardt, Gudrun Jensch, and Sigrun Kuhnheim. 
All five of these women were about the same age, living in Munich, Germany. They shared a common goal, channel the Aldebaran aliens and glean as much information as they could. The five women soon established the Vril Society, named for the powerful energy source they sought to harness. But they had one problem. All the information in the world would be useless unless they could get it into the hands of men powerful enough to wield it. Meanwhile, elsewhere in Bavaria, on September 12, 1919, Dietrich Eckhart attended an underground meeting of the DAP, or Deutsche Arbeiterpartei, which means German Workers' Party, just a month after the Tula Society had been born. The DAP was a small, radical political group that found the larger German nationalist movement too conservative. They also felt that the nationalist movement was far too sympathetic to the Jewish people. The DAP blamed the Jewish people for all of Germany's socioeconomic problems, however baseless their claims might have been. At the time, the DAP was seen as a fringe group of extremists, Germany's version of the KKK. They made a lot of noise, but struggled to produce any viable political candidates. The wider public ignored their hateful rhetoric, but this would prove to be a fatal error. Dietrich Eckhart had formed the party himself as a vehicle to thrust Tula society ideals into the mainstream. He understood why his party wasn't taken seriously, but knew there was a simple way to change that. He needed a charismatic leader to be the face of his movement. And on this night in September, he was going to find one. A man, a young soldier in the back of the beer hall, jumped up on a table and launched into an impassioned, anti-Semitic, anti-communist speech that sounded like music to Eckhart's ears. With each rant against the Jewish people, Eckhart grew more confident the man on the table was his messiah. It was a match made in hell. After the meeting, Dietrich Eckhart and Adolf Hitler struck up a friendship that would last until their dying days. Eckhart left the beer hall that night certain he had met the man who would change the face of Germany forever. There was just one problem. Eckhart and the rest of the Tula Society knew that even if they were able to grow their political party to overtake the government, they would be in desperate need of a weapon capable of keeping Hitler in power. It's unclear how Dietrich Eckhart met Maria Orsich. By 1919, Maria had earned a local reputation as a trusted medium and prophetess and fervent supporter of the nationalist movement. Perhaps while at a cocktail party, rubbing elbows with the German political upper crust, she was introduced to Eckhart, who would have been keenly interested to meet a medium. Eckhart was obsessed with the occult and fringe sciences. Between his eccentric hobbies and twisted views of other races, it's clear he was a man with little use for facts. Yet he asked Maria for proof that she was indeed a medium. Maria was as gracious as she was beautiful and agreed to humor him. She told Eckhart that an alien race had told her of a coming leader named Adolf Hitler. Eckhart's blackened heart skipped a beat. 
He had barely met Adolf Hitler but a few days ago and had told no one of the man he intended to groom into a leader. Either the woman standing in front of him was the real deal, or she was an incredible con artist. And quite frankly, he had use for both. By the end of 1919, the Tula Society and Vril Society operated as a single unit. Maria Orsic told the members of the Tula Society about her conversations with the Aldebaran aliens. Eckhart and his cohorts knew that she was the key to harnessing the power of Vril, a substance so powerful that no earthly weapons could defeat it. It was the key to keeping Hitler in power and every leader that would ever follow him. But it was only then that Eckhart fully explained to Maria who she had been speaking to. He introduced her to the novel The Coming Race, although his take on the book was slightly different. Long ago, he explained, the Earth had been inhabited by the Aryan race, the citizens of the lost city of Atlantis. When the oceans swallowed their civilization, they had no choice but to flee to outer space. From there, they became travelers, inhabiting planets among the most distant galaxies, cleaning what knowledge they could before moving on to another planet. Eckhart wasn't sure how they were able to travel such great lengths so quickly. It was another mystery only this superior race could answer. Eventually, the Aryan Library of Knowledge became so vast that they were the most technologically advanced race in the universe, a literal master race. The Aryan race finally settled on a planet called Aldebaran in the Taurus galaxy, 68 light years away. Because the Aryans used to inhabit Earth, many of their descendants were still living here, unaware that they were of a superior genetic pool. It was their job to protect the Aryan race until the day the Aryans of Aldebaran came to collect their fallen children. Eckhart believed that anyone who could master real energy belonged to the superior race. And so, it became the express duty of the Vril Society to ensure that the Workers' Party harnessed Vril and secured their place among the master race. The Vril Society was only too happy to help. Meanwhile, Eckhart got to work ensuring that when the Aryans finally returned, a holocaust would have purged the Earth of those he found unworthy. Next, the Vril Society becomes the personal engineers for the Nazi party. Now back to the story. The Nazi party was established in 1920 and Dietrich Eckhart is widely believed to be one of the major architects of the movement. And truly, his twisted ideology permeates Nazi doctrine and rhetoric. It seems as though the Nazi party was meant to be a vehicle for the Tula Society to infuse their ideology into mainstream politics. Under the guidance of the Tula Society, Maria and her mediums began channeling the Aldebaran more regularly, writing down instructions to build ancient alien technologies, including a flying spacecraft. Much of what they scribed was channeled to them in ancient Sumerian, the Earth language the aliens spoke while inhabiting the planet over 3,000 years ago. But thankfully, the aliens also began channeling their information in German so that the Nazis had a readable copy. 
Maria also began seeing the number 33.33 over and over again, although she didn't understand what it meant. But eventually it clicked. It was the answer to Eckhart's question, how the Aryans had been able to fly through galaxies so quickly. A space-time line existed at 33.33 degrees on or around Earth. There, the Nazis could find a stargate that would allow them to jump to other galaxies. It's unclear whether that meant 33.33 degrees longitude or latitude. Maria seemed unconcerned with the specifics. The Tula Society was overjoyed. They were going to build a spaceship. Occultist Baron Rudolf von der Rosa was among the first to help finance the project, thrilled by the prospect of being among the first humans to traverse space. Eckhart was equally enthralled, although his motivations were far more sinister. On Wednesday, December 17, 1919, Maria, the Vril Society, and members of the Tula Society met with a man named Dr. Winfried Otto Schumann, who was convinced he could help bring the spaceship to life. The project was financed by the other members of the Tula Society, who were apparently affluent men, although their identities are still largely unknown. And so, as Hitler got to work penning Mein Kampf, Schumann and the Vril Society got to work building a spaceship. It took three years, but in March 1922, the first prototype of Maria's flying machine, called the Jenseitsflugmaschine, or Afterlife Flying Machine, was ready for a test run. On March 23, 1922, Maria and the other members of the Vril Society arrived at a secret base in Bavaria where the Jenseits Flugmaschine was being prepped for flight. Soon, Dietrich Eckhart and his cohorts also arrived, giddy as children on Christmas morning. Over the past three years, the Tula Society had been hard at work establishing the Nazi party. Since its inauguration in 1920, Eckhart had devoted himself tirelessly to Adolf Hitler pushing him into the limelight, garnering a following, and positioning him as a legitimate political figure. And as the German people began to rally around Eckhart's leading man, Dietrich continued to funnel money into the Vril Society project, awaiting the technology that could ensure Hitler's place as a world leader. He and the other members of the Tula Society were in awe of the large, saucer-like ship that greeted them at the facility. It was a thing of beauty, shiny and reflective, a flying machine unlike anything Eckhart had ever seen. The Tula Society took their seats at the edge of the hangar and waited for the demonstration to begin. Dr. Schumann brought the ship to life, and it began whirring in fast circles, slowly lifting off the ground. Eckhart's eyes watered as he took in the marvelous ship fighting to take flight. But then, everything went wrong. The disc-shaped ship started spinning, faster and faster, until it burst into flames. The demonstration was a disaster and Eckhart was not shy about berating Schumann for his failure. Eckhart did not doubt Maria or the instructions she channeled. No, this mistake had been man-made. 
The Tula Society left, enraged by the entire fiasco. However, Eckhart still believed in the project. Despite his disappointment, he agreed to fund a future demonstration. But this one, he threatened, had better succeed. Maria and Dr. Schumann spent the better part of the next few weeks trying to figure out what had gone wrong with their spaceship. They had followed the instructions channeled to Maria exactly. But after days of channeling and going over old notes, Maria finally realized her error. It hadn't been the technology that had been wrong. It had been the method of controlling it. It was then that she realized that for the ship to work, she would need to be driving it. This spaceship could not be piloted by a man-made mechanism. Maria would control the ship by connecting with it telepathically. She would tell the ship what to do, and it would obey. It took nearly two years to build the next prototype, but a second demonstration was finally set for January 1924. Once again, the Tula Society crowded around the edge of the hangar, expectant. Dr. Schumann had every confidence that this demonstration would work, but Maria was nervous. If they failed this time, it would be entirely on her, and Eckhart had been clear. Failure was not an option. Once again, Dr. Schumann flipped the switch, and like last time, the craft whirred to life. But instead of lifting off the ground, it awaited command. Maria tried to concentrate. She could feel the weight of the ship as she mentally tried to lift it. She imagined the mechanisms that made it work and tried channeling the Aldebaran aliens for help. And finally, after what felt like eons, help arrived. She could see the beams of light, almost touching the ship, it lifted off the ground as Dietrich Eckhart began clapping enthusiastically across the room. The spaceship reportedly flew at a rate of 300,000 kilometers per hour for about 55 minutes before Maria set it back down. It was an utter success. As Dietrich Eckhart watched the Jenseits Flug machine, he felt a tick of excitement. Finally, he had the technology that would help the Nazi party conquer the world. A year later, Hitler published Mein Kampf, his magnum opus. From there, it was only a few short years before the Nazi party gained traction across Germany and Hitler was installed as chancellor in 1933. In the 10 years between the successful testing of the spaceship and the rise of the Nazi party to power, the Tula Society continued to grow, working closely with the Vril Society developing all sorts of flying machines that could be used in battle. They were kept at a top-secret underground facility in Bavaria. Since the first successful demonstration in 1924, Eckhart knew that even with advanced ships, Germany would be unable to maintain absolute power without the Vril energy source. This was especially true because, at the time, Germany had no reserve of fossil fuel and were in desperate need for energy. To help tap into Vril energy, the Tula Society organized trips to Tibet starting in 1924, hoping to tap into the consciousness of any Aryan forefathers still living in Vrilian cities deep within the earth. 
By the third trip, they had convinced themselves that the native Tibetans might be descendants of the ancient Aryan race. The Vril Society began traveling the globe, attempting to find ancient Aryan civilizations, hoping they might find Vril energy hotspots. Astonishingly, the Nazi party eventually spent more money on these expeditions than the United States would on developing the atomic bomb, the equivalent of $20 billion in today's money. Granted, there is no paper trail authorizing these expenses, so it's unclear how the expeditions were paid for. But based on both Nazi and Tibetan records, it seems as though the Nazis really did make these trips. Maria channeled information which suggested that Vril might be found in Antarctica, and according to legend, the Tula Society believed her. So much so that they began sending submarines down to Antarctica. Rumor has it that they began building underground layers hundreds of miles inland. They would drill into the ice sheets from underneath, eventually hollowing out an icy fortress not dissimilar to a beaver dam. The only way to access these layers was by submarine, which would submerge beneath the ice, then surface inside the layer. There, the Nazis built huge transmission machines capable of scanning the Earth's core for movement or any sign of the energy force. It was rumored that the Nazis did find a huge subterranean crystal pyramid beneath the ice sheets presumably left from when the Aryans inhabited Earth thousands of years ago, but there has never been any evidence of this. But as the Nazis came to power, Maria received a particularly troubling transmission from one of her Aldebaran friends. His name was Anunnaki, not to be confused with the race of extraterrestrials by the same name, and he came to her in a trance, warning that none of the technology he was sharing could be used for warfare. Instead, all true believers of Vril should prepare to leave planet Earth and join him on Aldebaran. They would travel in the spaceship and jump through a stargate. They would live on Aldebaran until the Earth year 2022 when they would come back to Earth bringing peace. At first, Maria refused to hear this message. She had spent her life devoted to the Tula Society. How could she abandon them now? But in her heart of hearts, she knew Anunnaki was right. The Tula Society was growing darker. As Adolf Hitler gained influence, his interest in the occult had begun to seep into the Tula Society. The science that had brought the society together was taking a back seat to bizarre, disturbing satanic rituals. Then, on December 26, 1923, Dietrich Eckhart died of a heart attack. The man who had brought Maria into the fold was gone, and his ideology soon followed. Without Eckhart to keep the Tula Society grounded in cosmic communication, it slowly fell under the influence of one of the darkest, most twisted Nazis to rise through the ranks of the Third Reich, Heinrich Himmler. In what has become a hallmark of Nazi cults, Himmler gave the Tula Society a secret lair for occult rituals and sacrifices. In this case, it was a renovated 16th century castle turned Vril Museum, owned and operated 
by Himmler himself. Himmler had joined the Nazi party in 1923 at the age of 23 and quickly rose through the ranks, eventually becoming a member of Hitler's innermost circle. He also believed in Vril and is a suspected member of the Tula Society. The castle was meant to impress other members of the SS as a symbol of German pride. But in the North Tower, something darker was at work. It is said that this is where the Tula Society slowly morphed into a Satanist cult and attempted to summon Satan into the tower. And as Germany entered World War II, they began to use prisoners of war for experiments. In what is probably the most unusual example, Himmler would leave prisoners in the tower to freeze at night until they were within an inch of death. Then he would have a sex worker enter the tower and lay on top of the prisoner, trying to use her body heat to revive the freezing prisoner. If it worked, the prisoner would then be forced to have sex with the sex worker. As a believer in the occult, Himmler believed that sex held powerful magic, the kind of sexual magic that might conjure vril energy. Instead, half his test subjects died of the cold, and the other half failed to produce vril. As the Second World War raged, the women of the Vril Society continued to enjoy a privileged position among the members of the Tula Society. The Vril women were distinguished by their long hair, which they wore in ponytails, an uncommon hairstyle at the time. Maria continued to channel messages from Aldebaran, and while she still shared her findings with the Tula Society, she secretly prepared her sisters for escape. Then, in March 1945, Maria received a final message from Aldebaran. They told her that it was time for her to go. The Nazi party would be defeated before the end of the year, and if she had any hope of surviving, she had to leave now. They instructed her to meet them at the 33.33 degree line, conveniently located outside of Munich, where they would pick her up in their mothership. Maria wasted no time. She tried to warn a few close friends of the oncoming defeat, Heinrich Himmler included, but he would hear none of it. She even told Magda Goebbels, wife of Joseph Goebbels, to come with her to Aldebaran. At this point in 1945, Maria disappears from all records, historical or otherwise. In the years that followed, other mediums connected with her and learned that she and her Vril sisters escaped to Aldebaran, where they live in solace. They will supposedly return to Earth in 2022 and usher in a new era of peace. The Tula Society quickly fell apart in their absence. Without mediums, they were little more than a satanic sex cult and were shown no mercy by allied forces who later captured or killed almost every rumored member. No records concerning Vril were ever found after the Nazis fell in 1945. The Russians allegedly sailed down to Antarctica in submarines to explore the rumors of Nazi technology surviving there, but also found nothing. So whether the Vril Society ever really existed is anyone's guess and it's impossible to know whether Maria ever really made it to Aldebaran. Although, 
if the legend is correct, she'll return to Earth in just a few short years and provide inarguable proof that Vril energy is real, waiting for its rightful master to harness it. Thanks for listening to Extraterrestrial. We'll be back next Tuesday with circumstantial evidence that the Tula Society was real. We'll also delve into Maria's telepathic abilities and focus on the mediums who believe they are currently channeling her through time and space. You can find all previous episodes of Extraterrestrial, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Extraterrestrial was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler with sound design by Andy Waits. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Extraterrestrial is written by Aaron Lan and stars Bill Thomas and Tim Johnson. <laughs>